Welcome to the 40th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Timothy De Jesus. Timothy started his career as a used car salesman. He started earning good money in his early 20s. He got promoted and ended up being the number one salesman at several dealerships. He became a manager and won several awards. In 2020, he decided to branch off on his own. Today, he consults with dealerships and teaches them how to increase their sales. He also decided to become an author and published his book, The Business of Time. Listen to what Timothy did right and what he did wrong on today's episode. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show is impossible without you. Let's get this show started. So, Timothy, can you tell the audience what do you do today? Hello, everyone. I'm Timothy De Jesus. Uh, I'm the author of business of the business of time. It's a book I have coming out November first. But I'm also the CEO of Dealer Masters LLC, and I do some DJing on the side as well. If, if anybody follows me on LinkedIn, you guys probably see that. What does Dealer Masters LLC do? Dealer Masters LLC is an automotive training and consulting company. Basically, I spent 15 years of my career in the car business, and um, my way out was to work for myself. So now, what I do is I actually help auto dealers to learn how to sell cars. Like, there's a lot of rookie salespeople in the automotive business. I try to teach them how to sell cars. I actually am able to teach managers because I worked just about every position in the automotive industry, from salesperson to finance manager to sales manager, general manager, operations manager. So I kind of have a full view of anything that goes on in a dealership. And that's how I was able to get out and start my own company. Nice, nice. So how'd you sort of get into that? Like, you, yes, you did. You had all the positions, but what made you sort of do what you're doing right now? When did that idea pop in? It was kind of a long, drawn out process. What was going on is, you know, the car business, if anybody's ever worked in the car business and you've had a high level position, it can be kind of cutthroat and ruthless. So at a certain point, if you exceed what I call the cap, which is, you know, if you are a commission based employee and your commissions are higher than, you know, the dealership would like to pay you, then the dealerships typically start to have conversations with you about how you're getting paid too much, which as an employee is very is a very uncomfortable feeling because you're working your butt off, you're helping them grow their business, but they want to keep you at a certain level and don't want you to exceed that level. And that happened to me on numerous occasions uh, to the point where I, I was starting to get tired of it. And I said, well, why do I want to keep working for one dealer at a time? And having them mess around with my pay, I could just start my own company, work with as many dealers as I'd like uh, and make the choice of who I want to work with and who I don't want to work with. And so that's how that kind of came about. Why does that even happen? Because don't they make money per car? So it's not even like money comes in, like for everything you sell, money comes in. So why does that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, my experience with this, and I'm I'm not alone, unfortunately, in this, what they'd like to do is they'd like to have you build something for them, but, you know, have you make a certain amount of money that they're comfortable with. And if you, once you've built it, once they have what they, what, what they wanted, then it's kind of like, all right, well, let's try to replace them with somebody who's less expensive, who's going to fit within our cap. You would think that it would be that way, that, hey, you're doing good. I'm doing good. I'll pay you whatever because you helped me build this thing. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the way it works. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm nowhere near alone on this. You know, being in the business 15 years, I've gotten to know a lot of people and 
similar things have happened. It's also caused them to leave the business and go on to do other ventures. You know, some people just completely escape the business altogether and go do something completely different, like real estate. And some people might do like me and be in the business, but not inside the business, working for somebody, having to deal with that over and over again. Let's take it back to high school. How was high school for you? And would you want to sort of be when you were in high school? I didn't know what the heck I wanted to be in high school. High school for me, I was very under the radar. I wanted to get decent grades, decent enough grades to, you know, <laughs> to get to pass. But I really didn't know what was next after that. I went to college immediately after high school. I went for business and marketing and I ended up just, I didn't make it. it didn't stop me from having a productive and successful career. But at the same time, I think my pitfall personally was I got right into college, not knowing what I wanted to do. And there was really no motivation for me to kind of finish, if that makes sense. What were some things you were good at in high school versus the things you were not good at? I was pretty creative in high school. So, you know, anything that was kind of arts related, I was pretty good at. I wasn't good at certain math subjects like geometry. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, other than that, I, w- I did okay. I mean, I was kind of like average at everything in high school, I guess I would say. During college, when did you stop going? Like, when did you realize, like, hey, this isn't for me and I got to figure I want to do something else? That's a great question. So uh, what actually got me out of college was I was in for two years. The first year I went to Rutgers, passed everything my first semester, almost failed everything my second semester. And uh, I just decided that I wasn't going to continue paying that if I wasn't going to be serious about it. So then I transferred to a community college and did did okay at the community college. But while I was at the community college, um, I had a girlfriend at the time. And she was going on an internship to Disney and she asked me if I wanted to go. So I was like, all right, sure. I ended up going on the internship with her to Disney. I was there for six months, learned quite a bit. I mean, you know, it's a huge company, as you're well aware. But when I came back, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I wasn't sure if I actually wanted to re-enroll in college. And that's when I actually got into the car business. I saw an ad in the paper. It said, earn 70K or more this year selling cars. Now, this is back in the newspaper days, right? <laughs> but but uh, but I saw an ad that said, earn 70K or more this year selling cars. And I was like, well, shoot, that sounds pretty good. My other prospect was I was going to go work as like an admin assistant for like 25, 30K a year. So I sat down with the general manager at the time. And uh, he was just like, look, man, you know, I've been making serious money since I was a kid in this business. You can too. I tried it out and, you know. 15 years later, I'm still there. So, yeah. So, how was that first job? Like, what is the first job someone gets at, you know, trying to sell cars? Like, how does that work? It's pretty, I don't want to say it's easy and it's easy at the same time, right? Back in the day, it was a little bit more difficult because the internet wasn't as prevalent as it was now. When I first got in, it was 05. The, the internet was available to everyone, obviously, but at the same time, the car business wasn't as transparent on the internet as it is now. Now you can get pricing, get everything. But back then it wasn't. But I mean, basically, like you got a desk and you were your own boss in a lot of senses, because at the end of the day, you had, you know, managers above you, but you could bring in your own people. You could sell to your family. You know, you were kind of your own enterprise. So it's kind of like, here's a desk, here's a phone, go figure it out. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the dealership brought in traffic and you had, you were responsible for bringing in your own traffic too. But, you know, I did okay. I mean, my first 
real week selling cars. I made 2000 the first week and I was 22. So at the time I was like, whoa, like it's the best job ever. And of course, that's a little bit of beginner's luck and all that stuff. But, you know, I did okay thereafter. But it wasn't it wasn't difficult. The biggest thing you had to learn was just to not try to be so smart about it. And what I mean by that is you want to know the product. You want to get to know the people. You don't want to be as involved in the negotiations because what happens is then you don't become the customer's friend anymore because you're too involved in negotiations. So I had to learn that. Outside of that, it was it was fairly easy. It was new and it was really exciting. I mean, the cool thing is for people who are in sales, completing that transaction is a rush. And that's that's always exciting. What were some things that made you good at selling cars, right? Because not everybody tends to do well, right? There are a lot of people, a few months, and they're like, all right, this is it for me. What made you do well in the business? I probably, I was probably stubborn, which is good and bad sometimes, right? But, you know, I didn't want to quit. So I wanted to make it. So I guess tenacity would be something that would, I'd say, help me out. But I would say the biggest thing that helped me out was just the willingness to learn. The first dealership I worked for, they had like a mini training program. And I really tried to make sure I learned everything they were teaching me. And then beyond the training, they said, you know, you really need to get to know the product. Because if you don't know what you're talking about, then you're going to lose credibility. Crazy enough, what failed me in college, my study habits, was what helped me in my first job in the car business. But yeah, I I would say those are things that really kind of helped me along. And then it's just learning from there and just getting to know people better and how to market yourself better, how to be more personable, do things like that. Can you clarify how the the study habits or lack of study habits helped you? This first job happened. And, you know, like I said, I didn't want to necessarily fail. So I just really dug in and was like, all right, let me learn the product. So I took the brochures home. Back then, again, it wasn't internet. You, I don't know if you remember the good old paper brochures that the dealerships used to have. So they, they were like, here, go take this home and study it. This has all the product specifications in it, right? So I would take those home and actually study. But I think the difference was I was motivated because, again, I didn't want to fail. Whereas with college, since I didn't know what I wanted to do, it was hard for me, I think, to stay motivated because I didn't really have a clear path. What were some of your most interesting moments while working at the first dealership? One of the most interesting moments for me was really like closing my first deal because you learn a lot from it. And I think interesting wise, I mean, there's there's plenty of stories. I learned how to drive a stick shift at a dealership, <laughs> which I didn't know how to drive before. I would say probably if I had to go back, closing my first deal was probably the most interesting thing because, you know, you kind of get to know the steps in the process from A to B to C. And then once you finally see it happen, you're like, okay, this is how this works. And then when you have that first sale happen, it's really exciting. Like it's a rush. It's like, wow, I like this is fun. And then from that point on, you know, you kind of get hooked from there. What were some mistakes you made in the first job and what are some big lessons you learned from it? So mistake, the one of the mistakes I had, and this is, uh, I'll never forget this conversation. So one of the mistakes I had was, you know, I, I said earlier in the conversation, I kind of had to dumb it down. And in the car business, right, people don't want you to necessarily be like the sharpest salespeople because it can be intimidating. So once I started learning about six months in, I really thought I had a good handle on it and I didn't. The mistake I had was I was just kind of like educating people about things that really had nothing to do 
with their specific purchase. So it was kind of like I was feeding them irrelevant information because I thought I was smart. You know, my boss actually pulled me aside one day and he's like, what's going on with you? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you want to sell cars? And I was like, whoa, what is this? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, listen, calm down. He's like, just be yourself and stop like trying to be so smart. He's like, people don't need to know all the stuff you're telling them. What they need to know is what's relevant to them and what they want. So find out what they're looking for, what they need. And then that's what you focus on. Don't focus on telling them a whole bunch of stuff they don't need to know. And so that was probably a really great learning experience for me. Because at the time, I probably needed that wake-up call because my sales figures were starting to decline. And they kind of hit it right on the head that that's what was happening. So that was a good learning experience for me. And that was a, that was a good lesson I learned. Why did you sort of leave that dealership and, you know, go on to the next one? The next time I wanted to move on was I wanted to start getting into management. But at the dealership I was working for, the managers had been there for a very long time. There was no openings. And I just didn't see any upward mobility. But I knew at that point in my career, I had been selling cars for about three years. And I didn't necessarily want to be a career salesperson at the time. You know, my views have not have changed now, and I'll explain why. But at the time, I just didn't want to necessarily be a, be a career salesperson. I wanted to move up. I had actually moved to Pennsylvania, and I was traveling quite a distance to go back and forth to a dealership. And so I found a dealership that was local that did have a management opportunity. And then I decided to take that opportunity in uh, finance, working for the dealership. Now, how is it different from being like the front-end salesperson to being in management? So being a front-end salesperson, you're responsible for showing the car, you know, making a relationship with the customer, explaining the sales figures, things like that. When you're the manager, you're the person responsible for making sure the dealership is profitable. So as a salesperson in a lot of dealerships, they're not necessarily responsible for the profits, win or loss. They're just responsible for getting cars over the curb, right? When you're in management, you have to make sure that the dealership stays profitable because if the dealership's not profitable, then obviously it's going to close its doors. So it was a complete 180 because you have to shift your mindset from all volume to selling cars in volume, but at the same time, maintaining a profit level that's acceptable for the dealership. So the dealership doesn't go in the reds. How was it making that adjustment? And what were some things that you lacked in the beginning and how'd you pick them up? The adjustment, I think, was not that difficult for me. And the reason was because I got very close with my managers at my previous dealerships. And I would kind of ask them why, as things were happening, I would ask them, you know, why this is happening. And they would explain to me, hey, you know, we can't do this deal because it falls below a profit threshold that we just can't do. You know, we're physically losing too much money. And at a certain point, they educated me like, look, you know, in any deal, if we're letting a customer walk away, it's because we can't do it because our, our job is not to let customers walk away. It's to sell cars. If we have to let them walk, it means we did everything we could to make the deal. And so I kind of started picking that up throughout their, you know, just conversations and a little bit of training with them. So the, the transition wasn't that hard. The biggest thing I had to learn was instead of being friends with the salespeople, I had to learn how to, you know, manage that relationship. Because I was friendly with all the salespeople at my previous location. This was a new location. I had to earn everybody's respect. And I was a young guy at the time. I was 24 when I got my first management gig. I had to actually earn people who were double my age respect and show them I knew what I was talking about. 
So that was probably something. That was probably the biggest adjustment that I had to make. How long did it sort of take you to adjust and get comfortable in that position? It took me about a year to really get comfortable. I learned the, the position itself probably in a few months. But to really get comfortable and understand my role and understand how to earn people's respect. And the way I did it was just by showing them. You know, I showed them, hey, I can help you make money. I know what I'm talking about and I can close the deal. And, you know, by by doing those things, I was able to earn people's respect. I've always been a believer of showing instead of just telling and leading by example. And that's how I was able to, you know, kind of get comfortable in my own skin in about a year's time. Nice. So you had several manager positions. Now you ended up getting promoted again or moving to something else and getting a higher position? Yeah. So I moved I moved dealerships twice to get to a general manager role. I was promoted from sales manager to finance manager at the same dealerships. And then at the same group of dealerships, I was promoted from finance manager to director of finance. That was, again, the point where I was kind of capped. And, you know, I wasn't really going to move into a higher role. And so the next dealership I went to work for, I was the general manager. So that was the next step in my career. So what's the hierarchy like? So salesperson, manager, what comes above that? It depends on the dealerships. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different structures within dealerships, right? And the positions may be the same, but the person themselves may dictate how important they are. And here's what I mean. The typical hierarchy is like the finance manager and sales manager are kind of equilateral. Sometimes one might be higher than the other. And again, that just depends on their rank within the dealership, how long they've been there, level of respect they have, things like that. From there, you generally have a general sales manager who is kind of like a sales manager, but he also is responsible for all the sales managers and finance managers. Then from general sales manager, you have a general manager. So general manager oversees both sales and service because you have a service manager on the service side too. But the general manager oversees the entire dealership. And then the last position I was working for a dealership was operations manager, which means I oversaw the entire dealership, general manager on down. I worked directly for ownership and I oversaw everybody on down. How do things change once you are becoming like the director, once you become the general manager? Like what are some things, like obviously it depends on the person and how much ownership they take, but what are some things that change for you? Like what are some responsibilities you picked up as you moved up the chain? (laughs) You just, the more you move up, the more you have on your shoulders, right? Going from a sales manager to a general manager, say, I mean, the responsibilities are completely different. A sales manager, you just have your group of salespeople. As general manager, you're responsible for the same salespeople you were managing before. You're responsible for the sales manager. You're responsible for the finance manager. You're responsible for the service manager. So anything that goes wrong at the dealership is on your head. And it's your responsibility to fix. That's kind of how it changes. As you move up, you acquire more teams, I guess is the best way I could describe it. And the more teams, the more possibility that things can go wrong. I mean, all it takes is one or two people to really go out of line for the whole operation to start wavering. The responsibility, my responsibility, what I always felt when I was at the top was create a good culture within the dealership, create a culture where people aren't trying to, you know, snake each other, stab each other on the back and have an uplifting culture where everybody's trying to encourage one another. And generally, if you have that as a good starting point, then a lot of other things will take care of itself. But 
sometimes you have to ruffle a few feathers to get before you can get to the point where people start buying into the culture. Used car salesmen tend to have like a bad rep sort of among jobs. Why is that? Let's put it this way. There's no one blanket answer on that. The difference between like a new car dealer and a used car dealer, if you've ever visited a used car lot, obviously they're smaller. Sometimes people are working out of a trailer. Typically, a guy who owns a used car store is not as well capitalized as somebody who owns a new car store for obvious reasons, right? You know, a new car store takes millions upon millions of dollars to run month in and month out. Whereas a used car lot, you know, the guy might have 20, 30 cars on the lot. So it's just different. And a used car store, they're a lot more homely. You're going to have a lot more personalized experience. But at the same time, yeah, it's not as professional maybe as a new car store. And obviously, with that being said, when you have a franchise store, the franchise puts those protections in place. If you're giving that franchise a bad reputation, they're probably going to pull the plug on you. If you're an independent used car dealer, there's nobody to pull the plug on you. You are your own boss, right or wrong. And so I think a lot of those guys get a bad rep because some guys may not service their cars to the best of their abilities because they're trying to make a profit. Because the more work they put into fixing the car before a customer buys it, the less profit they might make. But that's wrong thinking because, you know, you're going to lose customers long term. It's wrong thinking. And that's a lot of that's why you see a lot more turnover at used car dealerships and new car dealerships. What would you say is the difference in terms of like the used car and the new car dealerships, like in terms of is it better to work at a new car dealership or what do you have to say about that? That's a great question. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, if you can find the right used car store, I find it actually better to work at a used car store than a new car store. But it has to be the right one. You know what I mean? You don't want to work for just like I talked about earlier. You don't want to work for somebody who's not fixing their cars right, who's not trying to do the right thing by their customers. Right. But what I found, because I've worked for both new and used car dealerships, is that the used car dealership, you definitely have a little bit more personalized experience. They're a little bit more flexible. Whereas at the new car store, again, it's about high volume. You'll find that there's a lot more turnover at those stores. So you might have somebody who works at the same used car dealership for 10 years. Average salesperson working at a new car store is probably there two years tops in and they're out. And there's, you know, a lot of people who are there a couple months and gone. And that happens over and over and over and over again. So, you know, it just depends on the ownership of the used car store. But there's a lot less moving parts at a used car store, especially one that doesn't have a service department. It's kind of like, hey, we show up, we sell cars, we go home in it, <laughs> you know, which can be pretty easy if, if it's the right place. Now, what are the actual salaries that people make, right? So because they're always advertised, hey, you have, you know, I've always seen the whatever in the papers, unlimited earning potential and all that stuff. So what, what are the realities? So what do you actually see? Some people make very, very, very good money in the business, right? I mean, there's some, obviously some over million dollar earners. The, own, the owners are generally obviously always going to make over a million dollars. Um, your general managers, you know, they're seeing, you know, the mid 100s usually. Some of them are pushing two and up. Your typical sales manager will make anywhere from 70K to 110, 120. If they're really good, they'll make a buck 50. But again, when like in the beginning of the conversation, those are kind of the ranges. And when you start um, pushing uncomfortably past those ranges, then people want to make changes one way or another. Maybe you get a promotion and they put you into a role that, hey, they don't have a problem paying you as much money as you're making. 
But a lot of times, unfortunately, just it's like, hey, this is our position. This is how much the position's worth. You're making too much money. We got to figure this thing out. And that conversation happens way more than it should in the car business. But it's a very, very real thing in the car business. Now, do you get benefits or it's just all commission and you got to make sure you got you got to figure that out on your own? Is it like you get like a small base? How does that work or dealership to dealership dependent? Exactly. Dealership to dealership dependent. You know, I've worked at dealerships that, you know, had very good benefits. I've worked at dealerships that have okay benefits. I've worked at dealerships that basically kind of like you're on your own. The benefits are very much dealership by dealership. And I think, you know, the larger a dealership, the better package they can offer because obviously they're number one, once you get over 50 employees, you're required to offer healthcare. But then also the more employees you have, the more of a group discount you get from these, uh, from the medical companies. So it really just depends on the dealership themselves, but it's, it's very much dealership by dealership. There's kind of no blanket, you know, benefits package along, along the way. Some offer 401k, some don't, you know, it's, it's the wild, wild west when it comes to that. Yeah. Now, as you move to general manager, operations manager at the highest level, what sort of transitioned you to your own and what caused you to do that, make that move instead of going to a different dealership? What really caused me to make the move, first of all, it was kind of the, the jacking with salaries really kind of got to me from a mental health perspective because I kept feeling like I had to fight for what I had already earned, which is very, very frustrating. Some people in other commission-based businesses have experienced this, but it's rampant in the car business. So, you know, having to constantly fight for what you feel like you've already earned is, is not a good place to be. And the other thing was, I mean, in some situations, I was teaching the people who I worked for the way to do it. And then, you know, they would kind of take it from there. And I, I was realizing, like, a lot of owners in the car business, they don't know what they don't know. So some owners have inherited their business from family members, and they really don't know a lot of the mechanics of the business. So I'd be brought in to help teach them. But then it would become a point where we would clash because I knew exactly what I was talking about. And they would be telling me, well, it needs to be this way. And I'm like, well, that's going to be counterproductive to everything we're, we're doing. And we get into arguments and um, it was wearing on me. Again, it was just kind of like, I don't want to have to fight you on this. Like you brought me in to do a job. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm not going to be a yes man if it's going to derail the whole operation, which is what a lot of people want. A lot of people just want you to say, yeah, just it's my way or the highway. Just do it my way. And that's it. And that's never been me. So, you know, between like that and the salary thing, and that happened more than once, I was like, I, I think it's time for me to just do my own thing, which I've been incredibly happier for. How was it making that transition? Because it's not always easy or was it easy for you since you've had a lot of experience within the industry? It was actually a fairly easy transition for me. And, and the reason was because even before I went on my own, I had done outside sales for a very large, you know, a Fortune 100 company. And so for me, knocking on dealership doors was something I was already doing. So, you know, being able to just go in and say, hey, here's who I am. Here's what we do. Have an elevator pitch prepared and, you know, kind of set up another meeting to discover what's next for that specific dealership. If there's a place for me, that was very easy for me. Not to mention working for that same company I just told you about. 
I had already met a lot of dealers in the area and had relationships with them. So, you know, once I decided to go on my own, it was very easy. I had already had friendships within the business. I was able to just walk in and say, hey, how's it going? As opposed to trying to sell myself, they already knew who I was and I already had existing relationships. So the transition for me was fairly easy. And that was that was part of the motivating factor for me to make the decision as well was that I had already known so many dealerships in the area and I knew I could help them and do it at a price point that was reasonable for them. So, you know, the transition for me was fairly easy. What were some mistakes you made along in your career? Like what were some things now it's like you look back, like if you did it differently, it would have helped you a lot more or progress your career a lot more. So I would say the the biggest thing that I learned and I learned it and I didn't learn, I guess I could say, was that, you know, if you have a good gig, it's sometimes better to, you know, take it on the chin, but have peace of mind rather than trying to just maximize your salary. Because at one point, one of the dealers was like, look, we got to cut your salary. And I, I basically refused. I was like, no, I've, I've built you this nice department. This is incredibly profitable. Why am I being penalized for it? And so eventually they let me go because I wouldn't take a pay cut. Looking back on it, it was a good gig. Had the pay cut been manageable, I was making well, well above average salary. I was doing financially pretty good, but I let my pride get the best of me. So, you know, looking back on it in that situation, I probably would have taken a reasonable pay cut and kept the job instead of, you know, letting my pride get the best of me. Now, in future positions, it wasn't that way. Some of the future positions I had where they were trying to cut my pay, it was a struggle every day showing up for work in addition to them trying to mess with my money. That's a totally different ballgame. But the dealership that I just was talking about, it was a pretty good gig. And had I just taken a pay cut and probably stayed, I would have been okay. You know, I would have been probably fine with that. But at the time, I didn't see it that way. What are some mistakes in general a lot of people in the industry make? Well, the biggest thing I would say is that people do not realize how relationship-based the business is. It's almost, I mean, most businesses are relationship-based, but the car business especially, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many times as a salesperson, people would say to me, you know, I actually had a better quote from another dealership, but I bought the car here because I like you and you're personable, you're reasonable. You don't try to tell us anything that's not true. Like we want to do business with you. So we're paying a little bit more, but that's okay. I think that's the biggest mistake people make is that they don't realize that if you are friendly on some level, and sometimes you actually make friends from customers, if you make a friend while you're making the transaction, that makes a difference. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. They don't take the time to make a relationship. They just want to get in, get out, get a sale and get on to the next one. So I think that's probably the biggest mistake that people made. In addition to, in today's world, the biggest mistake people are making is not trying to have a personal brand on social media while being in any type of sales role. Because, you know, I had a salesperson who worked for me for two plus years and his Instagram following was, it generated at least 10 extra car deals for the dealership every month. His personal Instagram would sell us at least 10 extra cars every month without fail. I think that's the biggest mistake people are making now is that if you're in the business, you can generate your own sales opportunities. You can keep yourself busy as opposed to just waiting for the dealership to bring traffic in. Nice. So 
how has the industry changed over time and how has the impact? Because I know obviously the internet now it's like used in every search, right? People start off on the internet and online that I assume that sometimes do people, the sale is made over the phone and they come in to pick up their car. So the sale being made over the phone is, is more rare than you would think. And the reason is because, you know, with a car and especially a used car, used car, typically you got to check it out. A new car is a little bit different. Like people do kind of buy cars via email on like what'll happen is they'll request a quote, a quote from a couple of different dealerships. And that's a component of my business that I do sometimes too. I help people buy cars, but you know, what they do is they'll, they'll email a couple different dealerships and get price quotes. And then, you know, the best price quote along with good service is the one that wins. When I first got into the business, that didn't happen at all. There was no emailing for price quotes. We had a quote unquote internet department, but we wouldn't give price quotes over the phone. You know, you would schedule an appointment with the internet department, but you wouldn't actually buy the car via the internet. So, and then as time progressed, it became more regular for people to email dealerships to get price quotes and kind of do their homework before walking in. How did dealerships sort of change with that? Like, how did it change for the salesperson? It's not a big change for the salesperson because the salespeople at the end of the day, are the responsibility is still the same, right? You have to show up, you have to sell cars. If you don't sell enough cars, you're eventually going to get the boot. How it really changed is more for dealership management uh, and owners especially because the profit margins on new cars shrunk dramatically. Because now if you can email three or four dealers, they have to put their best foot forward in order to get the business. At that point, when you're doing that, it changes the dynamic of a dealership and how they can profit. If a customer could walk in and not know what a dealership paid for a car, which is the invoice price, then it's easier for a dealership to make money. Now, you know, people know the invoice price. There's so much information on the internet. And again, you can just get price quotes fairly easily now. So for the dealerships, the profit margin shrunk dramatically. And they really have to focus on making money in service in other places because there's not a lot of margin on new cars. Unless it's like a specialty car, like one of these brand new Corvettes or something like that. There's not a lot of margin on car in new cars. What do you see the future of the industry? What are some other big changes you kind of anticipate? Well, the biggest change, uh, you've heard of Carvana, I'm sure. Yeah, now, yeah. Right? They've, right, they've been making a lot of moves. Yes. So I think that's probably the biggest change you're seeing is that dealerships are trying to adapt to that, but you have to either be in or out if you're going to try to do something like Carvana. What I see happening with a lot of dealerships is they, they put a Carvana-like tool on their website, but then when a customer comes in, you know, they like change the dynamic and the customer's like, look, I've worked out a deal. The payment said on your website, it should be $240 a month. You're telling me the payment should be $300 a month. Why is that? And it's because the dealership's not really committed to the mentality. They put the tool on there thinking it's going to sell them cars. It doesn't. I mean, Carvana is an all online business and that's what they strive to be. And that's what they intend to be. And they don't, they don't market themselves as the cheapest price. It's convenience. You know, and I think a lot of dealers get caught in the middle of that because obviously if they give a customer an internet quote, that's the cheapest price. But if the customer walks on the lot without an internet price, they want to try to make money. Right. And so I think that's where dealerships are struggling right now because Carvana is 
they are who they are and that's not going to change. And they're very successful. I mean, they're growing in leaps and bounds and they're taking a big chunk of market share from all car dealers, not just new car dealers, not just used car dealers, all car dealers. And so I think that's probably the biggest change you're seeing right now. We're in the midst of industry disruption, I guess is the best way to put it. And, you know, with that industry disruption, if you don't adapt, you're going to have issues like a lot of new car dealers have. So was there ever a time a lack of the college degree sort of held you back? In the car business, I would say no. Outside of the car business, you know, I think it probably had some impact because there were points when I was in between working for the lender and when I was in between working for the dealerships that I thought about just making a complete exit. And I, I think maybe having a lack of a degree made people not take me seriously, you know, despite the fact that my resume was filled with just accolades. But I think maybe the lack of a degree maybe might have dissuaded some people who, you know, don't know anything about the car business. Because um, there's some really good people, there's some really talented people in the car business that can do great things outside of the car business. But I don't know. I think there's probably a stigma to car guys, too, I'm sure. So I think there's maybe a stigma to the car guy thing. And, and probably the lack of degree might have hurt me at some point. But I don't know. I mean, I've done OK for myself. So I can't complain about my earnings for never having a degree. I don't think my earnings have ever been an issue. Have you sort of ever felt insecure about not having a degree? I think earlier in life I did. I don't now because at this point, I think people are starting to realize more and more that skills and experience are more valuable than a degree, unless you're in a specific field that requires a degree, like, you know, a medical field or things like that. But, you know, in a sales related field, I mean, it's going to be the person who's more personable and, you know, more well rounded and more knowledgeable that's going to win. It's not going to be somebody who is fresh out of college and has a degree. That's not, that doesn't make them a good salesperson. So, you know, I think it, it depends on the industry. Now, in my situation, I don't feel like I'm not bothered by it at all. But earlier in my career, I think it may be, it, I might have felt self-conscious about it. So what advice would you have for people new in the industry today that like a young kid, right, 18 to 22, they're trying to break into that industry. What advice would you have? So they start off the ground running. Definitely the first thing I would tell anybody who's in that age range, especially, is to start thinking about having a personal brand and then leveraging that personal brand to turn the the people that you speak to into sales, the relationships you make into sales. Because again, I, I saw it firsthand. The gentleman I referenced earlier, his name is Justin Brown. And when I first met him, he was 21 years old, I think. And he had about 4,000 followers on Instagram. And he was already bringing in people and, and you know, selling cars from that. Now he's got almost 20,000 followers on Instagram. He doesn't sell cars anymore. He's, he's actually running the social media department for the last dealership that I worked for. But when he was selling cars, like I said, he would sell us 10 cars a month. And that was just free. We didn't do anything to promote him. He promoted himself. He brought in his own traffic. He very rarely had to take dealership traffic because he had all of his own customers coming in. And it was very powerful. And he never struggled with income as a young guy because he had this personal brand. He had a following. He had people coming in and asking for him regularly. So he didn't need the dealership's traffic to be successful. And I think 
for anybody who's trying to get into the business now, it's leveraging your personal brand. Because unless you're at a very high volume dealership, which is also very competitive and very cutthroat, unless you're at a high volume dealership, you may struggle to find opportunities, especially in today's economy. You have to create your own opportunities. And I think best advice I could give anybody right now. What other things would you sort of tell them? So it's the personal brand that's very important. What other things? Also in terms of what to kind of understand about the industry, right? Because people get in and they there's some red flags that they need to watch out for. The biggest thing I could say is to, you know, learn and not just learn the product like the cars themselves, but learn about people. I think that's the best advice I could give you outside of having a personal brand is if you know and understand people, then you can be successful. And in the car business and in sales, it's really kind of as simple as finding common ground, getting someone to like you and not lying to them about stuff that they don't need to lie about. You know, it's just telling them straight. If a car doesn't have a certain piece of equipment, like a navigation or a DVD player or something, you can't change that. So you either have to find them a different car or the customer is going to have to make a compromise depending on their budget. Uh, So you have to get to know people and understand what their buying motivations are. And if you understand what their buying motivations are and they see that you're willing to listen, then they'll want to work with you and they'll want to buy a car from you specifically. Even if you may not have the specific thing they're looking for, they'll be like, okay, well, can you get me what I'm looking for? Because I'd like to work with you as opposed to just going down to the next dealership who has the exact car they want. What book recommendations would you have? You know, that would be really impactful for a person in this industry. The best books I've read are by Joe Verde. That's V-E-R-D-E. And he's got a few of them that are that are really good. I mean, Joe Verde was not a car guy, got into the car business and just exploded. And he's very good. He's very sharp. And he's been doing sales training for, I don't know, I think it's at least 20 years now. I would definitely recommend almost anything by Joe Verde. He writes, it's more on like how to sell cars, how to... He writes about the psychology of sales and also how to sell cars. So he's got multiple books just around selling cars. I'm trying to think of a one off the top of my head. It's been a while since I've read his credit card. They have the sort of earn over 100K selling cars, dealer's guide to recovery, 38 hot tips on selling cars in today's market. Yeah, the manager career in sales is a good one. Okay. The goal then... setting. Yep, that's a good one. Earn over 100,000 selling cars by Joe Bird. It's also good. But the the one that seems to be pretty impactful is manager, manager career in sales. That seems to be one of the most you know popular ones that I've seen. Okay. So what are your future goals with your company? My company, I'd like to scale it eventually where I have also paid consultants outside of my region. But for now, I mean, my company is just a small piece of what I do. So I tend to keep my interactions very limited because at the end of the day, you know, I only have but so much time in my day, right? My company is, I tend to work with people who I've known for a while and who I trust, or if they, if they're like, Hey, can you help my friend out? Then I'll also take on new clients, but I tend to keep my, my clients close knit. Now, like I said, I'd like to eventually expand. I'm not really there right now. My goals for my company is just to, you know, kind of maintain the clients that I have. But my main focus really now and, you know, what I've really been pushing is the business of time, which is my book that's coming out. 
And the business of time, I think, is is something that really it's not just about car people. It's about anybody can relate to. It's, you know, the business, the book is about building value in yourself so that you can call the shots a little bit more because when you're more valuable, you can ask for more earnings. You can ask for more time off if you're working for someone else. And if you've learned enough, you can take a route like I have, which is you can work for yourself and replace your income, but have a lot more freedom to do what you'd like to do with your time. And the business of time is really for anybody, whether they've got a degree, whether they don't have a degree. It's about teaching people how to build value in themselves, market themselves, sell themselves so they can earn more over time, retire sooner and enjoy more of their personal time and less time just, you know, staying in that that hamster wheel of work, work, wake up, work, wake up, work, wake up, work, and not really having time to enjoy life. So let's any sort of final words to someone like what what would you have told yourself when you were sort of 18 to 22 and like going thinking about it now? Well, you know, when I was 18 to 22, the, the world was a very different place. We've seen the explosion in social media probably over the last 10 years, really. I can't go back and say to my 18 year old self, hey, get into social media because it didn't exist. Right. But I would say, you know, the one thing I would tell anybody, no matter your age, is start working on a personal brand now because i think for anybody in this in today's world especially you know kind of mid-pandemic to post-pandemic obviously there's a lot of jobs that were lost and so if you don't have a personal brand and people don't know who you are and nobody can vouch for you it's makes it that much more difficult to get a job if you're a job seeker i think it's it's so important to have a personal brand because, you know, my personal brand has, w- was a big reason why I elevated myself into going on my own. Cause I realized that, Hey, I had clients. I had people I could, I could actually depend on to, to pay me money and support myself. And had I not started my journey on social media and had I not had a personal brand, I don't think I would have been as confident to go on my own as I was. So I would say to, you know, myself, I wish I would have started my personal brand a lot sooner, but I would say to anybody, having a personal brand is is such an important tool in today's world. You know, unless you're just set, unless you've got, you know, a job you've been at for 20 years and it's steady and there's nothing going on and you have no stress in your life for, that's job related, but that's not the majority of people's experience in today's world. And so I think having that personal brand is so important nowadays. How would someone get in contact with you? They can find me on LinkedIn. It's my name, Timothy De Jesus. I'm on every social media platform. So LinkedIn and Facebook is the same. Timothy De Jesus, it's my name. Instagram is at DJ Technicality. TikTok is at Real Timothy De Jesus. Twitter is at Real Tim De Jesus. And it stinks that they have all different names, but Twitter limits you on characters. Ah, uh, <laughs> man. So, but it's all good. But yeah, you can find me just about anywhere. If you search Timothy De Jesus, I mean, there's not too many Timothy De Jesus in the world. So you'll find me. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I know the listeners got a great value and, you know, looking forward to staying in touch. All right, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you, brother. I know that the listeners will definitely get a lot of value from this. All right. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it so much. Have a good one. You too. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. 
This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, no degree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.